scripture reading today is from John 13, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is our tradition at Christ Community to take a few minutes to meditate on God's word. We're going to be going through several different verses, and if it's helpful for you to look at them, probably will be, just have your Bibles open, and I'll point you to those as we get to those particular places. Most of you have a smartphone and realize apps come out all the time for these smartphones, and there's a technology that's being used in different places with need for high security. It's uh, instead of getting a thumbprint or a fingerprint, you have a, you get an eye print. You've probably seen this in spy movies and that kind of stuff. And they're trying to get that technology into your your uh, iPhone uh, or into your um, smartphone. So you would just look at the screen, and it would scan your eyes, and it would tell if you're the right person, and then would unlock your screen, and then also serve as your passwords for all kinds of things that you might do with your smartphone. And the company is called iVerify. That's the name of the company. And this is what they say. iVerify's biometric software. Okay, I'm not sure I know much about any of those three words. iVerify's biometric software verifies your identity with your eye print. The technology captures images of your eye with its unique information about blood vessels and vein patterns. Humans have a unique and stable patterns of blood vessels that are evident in the whites of their eyes. One eye has two eye prints, one on each side of the iris, and basic smartphone cameras can capture those. The research shows that the rate of false acceptance and rejection are zero, a major selling point for security. So it's amazing, you know, what your iPhone might have the potential to do, and part of it is obviously verifying your identity, which is an important part of uh, the technological technological boom that we're in the middle of. But apparently, uh, verifying your identity was important to Jesus as well. Because here he is in John chapter 13. He's in the upper room. This is around the table. And he's with his 12 disciples. And these are some of the last words that he decides to share with the disciples. And he looks at them as he's around this table. And he looks at these 12 men and he says, I'm giving you this command and is to love one another. And in case you don't know what that looks like, it's just like I've been loving you. And of course, they're going to see this in the next day. And they're going to understand the extent of the love that Christ has for them. And he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know or all men will verify. All men will be able to tell that you're my disciples. If you're loving one another, if you're... He's talking specifically now about the people around the table. He's talking about the people inside the four walls. 
He understands that the, the people from the, the culture are going to intersect the people of the church and they're going to be trying to, to I verify whether these people in the church are really following after Christ. Do they really have that identity? And Jesus is looking at him and say, saying, the main way that people are going to be able to identify whether you're really a disciple is if you're loving the person in the pew next to you. And so you read those passages and you read this passage and I ask this question, what does it look like to love one another? If a visitor was here at Christ Community Church this morning and trying to identify whether we really are real deal disciples here at Christ Community Church. But what unique patterns would they be looking for? How would they identify whether we really fit those patterns as uh, disciples? And I want to answer that question by looking at four different texts this morning. And they're all in the same vein, meaning they're part of this uh, broader category of one another texts. There's a several, th- several phrases uh, or several verses throughout the New Testament that talk about how you should treat one another. And so when Jesus says, love one another, I'm asking the question, well, what does that really look like? And I'm going to use these other texts to sort of fill, fill in the detail of what that looks like. What does it mean to love one another? And before we get to the first one, which is in Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Uh, before we get that, we're, we're moving towards the communion table. So it's helpful to think about these things perhaps in a way to say, as I watch people come up to the communion table, as I stand next to somebody and take communion, as I, as I sit and watch them sort of peel off and go back to their chairs, it might be worthwhile just sort of checking your gauges as it would be to say, how well am I doing this to one another? How, how well am I loving one another in this particular way? In the first passage, Romans 12 Verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. So the first action, the first gauge you might want to ask yourself to look at, to examine is, is how well do I live in harmony with my brothers and sisters? How, how well do I live in unity with the people inside the church in the Greek word, the word harmony means to be of the same mind. And what Paul's trying to communicate here is that we should think the same thing towards each other, not that we should all think the same thing as each other. Let me say that again because it's an important distinction. What Paul is saying is you should be able to think the same things towards each other. But he's not expecting that everybody in the church thinks the exact same way. It's impossible for us to think the same things about each other or as each other. But it is possible to say, think the same things towards each other. Let me give you an example. If, if I were to say to you, what are the next three priorities for Christ Community Church in 2014? What are the three things that are most important for Christ Community Church to move forward towards in 2014? I'm pretty certain we wouldn't in unison just say the same three things. 
Because you have different passions, you have different dreams, you have different desires, you have all kinds of different things. And what would have to happen as a leadership is we'd have to say, okay, we can't do 300 things, but we can narrow it down to three. We don't think the same thing as each other, but as we try to narrow down those three things, we can think the same thing towards each other. In other words, we can think humility towards one another. We can be sympathetic towards one another. We can have the same kinds of thoughts towards the other person that obviously you would want to have coming back towards you. It's not even preferable, actually, that we all think the same thing as each other. I mean, think of the word harmony in music. I mean, what if all of us sounded exactly the same when we sang? I mean, what if we, even if we had just a really beautiful voice like, Mine, let's just say. If we all shared this really magnificent voice like I have. And when people came in, they heard me sing. I'll resist the temptation. And you sounded just like me. The first thing somebody would say is, I want some harmony. I want somebody who's still singing the same sheet of music, but singing complementary notes, singing different notes alongside, because when those differences come in, then it makes the sound richer than any one single voice could possibly carry all by itself. And so the Apostle Paul here in Romans 12, he understands that within a gospel-centered church, there's going to be a variety of voices and people who have different tastes, people who have different passions, different priorities. But he's saying you need, to, you need to take all those things inside the church and you need to harmonize them. You need to get on the same sheet of music. And that's how you're loving one another is you're moving towards one another with sympathy, with, with empathy, with compassion, with humility. And then Paul tells us in this verse, what's the greatest threat to the harmony? I mean, he knows it right away. I'm, I'm asking you to, to harmonize with one another, but I'm going to tell you right, in that, right now, inside the church, the greatest threat to that harmony is being haughty or being prideful. When one person or one group thinks of themselves in a different category than the rest, when you think more highly of yourself than you should... You're incapable of being of the same mind. Because when you look toward your brother and sister, you're looking down at your brother or sister. So you can't have the same mind in a prideful mind. A prideful mind is the opposite of Christianity. Looking down is not what Christianity is about. Bending down. And he says it in this text. Associate with the lowly. Make sure you bend down and you say, hey, you know what? Inside the church, we're really all on the same stage. And what's going to create this disruption and harmony is going to be people who think themselves in a different category or people who look down on other people. And so it's just worth checking that gauge. As people walk by, am I... Is there any group, any person I look down on? C.S. Lewis does such a great job of capturing this sort of idea of, of pride inside the church and especially how it works out with people in the pew. 
And you might remember in his book, The Screwtape Letters, where he's writing sort of, he is writing fiction. And the way he set it up is this senior devil is giving advice to this junior devil. And he's saying, this is how you can destroy one man's faith. And so it's just a series of letters from this senior devil. And this one man has now joined a church. And so the, the senior devil says, well, this is how you can really destroy this man and maybe even the church. And he says this, when he goes to church, make his mind flit to and fro between the expression, the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. Help him to focus on the person who sings out of tune. Has boots that squeak, a double chin, or wears odd clothes. Oh, then he will quite easily begin to believe that their religion must be somehow ridiculous and that he uniquely has very favorable standing with the Lord. He will pridefully believe he has shown great condensation or what is that word? Thank you. Whatever he's just said. It's not condensation. <laughs> oh, these things get taped and it's terrible because they come back to you. Condescension. In going to church with such commonplace neighbors. Keep them in that state of mind as long as you can. You see, have him come in as this new Christian and he understands God really loves him. But then have him sit next to these people who have double chins, squeaky boots, wear different clothes. And then start thinking, well, I'm just a little bit more favored than that guy is or that woman is. And keep him in the church and keep him in that state as long as possible. Because then you can't create harmony because somebody's looking down on somebody else. So one way, one way we love one another in answer to Jesus' command to the disciples in John 13 is we live in harmony. We're, we're living toward each other in the same way with, with sympathy and compassion and humility. Second, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, the second of these one another passages, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul has just finished in the first three chapters of Ephesians this great theological message about the gospel. And so he turns in chapter 4 and he says, Therefore, now, now that your, your life has been informed by the gospel, now you're going to have to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. And the first step in your walk is how you live in this group right here. That's his first concern. And he says, so when you get inside this church, you, you, you have to live with humility and gentleness and patience and you have to bear with one another. Now take just for a moment, let's just stop just for a moment and consider Paul's instructions maybe from the other side. He's saying to this, this group of Christians, when you come into the church, the character qualities that's going to be required for you to live in harmony inside the church is humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing. You need humility to answer pride. 
You need gentleness to answer agitation. You need patience to answer impulsiveness. You need to bear because you're going to have to carry difficult people. So what it sounds like to me is that Paul is saying that inside the church there will be prideful, easily agitated, impulsive, and difficult people. That's what I hear him saying. Wow. Welcome to our church. Come on in. Sign up for the inquirer's class. What you're going to find here are prideful people, easily agitated people, impulsive and difficult people that you'll have to carry. And I can guarantee at Christ Community Church, you're going to find those kinds of people. And the reason why I can guarantee it is because when I think about this list, prideful, at times agitated, impulsive, and difficult, you know the first person I think about in that list? Me. Now, thankfully, less, I hope, today than... Yesterday, but not where I would want to be tomorrow. And so at some point, if you join with Christ Community Church, you're going to find that you're going to have to carry me. You're going to find that I can't get agitated. You're going to find all these characteristics. And my guess is if you're really honest and you look in the mirror, you'd say, Oh man, that's me too. And I'm going to have to do the same thing for you at some point. Or another, because as Christians, we're not what we were, thank the Lord, but we're not all that we should be. And Paul understands that in the church, in order to stay together, what does he say? He says, You're going to have to make every effort. Isn't that interesting? You would think, oh, I got I to make every effort out there. But when I come in here, we should all just be just, oh, so fine. And he says, no, no, no. What you're going to find out is you're going to have all these sinners now inside a little building. And you're going to have to make every effort. And it's going to require these kinds of character traits. You're going to have to bear. You're going to have to get up underneath people and carry them. And I wonder in Luke nine twenty three, when Jesus looks at his disciples and says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And then what? Take up his cross and carry. You're going to have to bear a cross. You're going to have to get up underneath something. And I don't know what Jesus has in mind. But he's saying this in Luke 9.23 to his disciples. And he might be saying, guys, one of the heaviest things you're going to have to carry is the other guy next to you. You're going to have to bear with that person. And so part of bearing, part of following after Christ is bearing with one another. And people having to bear with you. So second gauge, second thing you might want to look at as people come by you. How, how well do you bear? Colossians 3.16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. How do you love one another? Is that you teach, you admonish 
one another with all wisdom. And it's important to understand that when you're bearing with one another, it doesn't negate the need for teaching and admonishing. If you're bearing with somebody, if you're bearing your son or daughter, if you're bearing a situation, you're also trying to say, hey, let's not do this again. Let's learn from this. Let's get in a different place. Let's grow in some way. And so as you bear, you're not just bearing with, with just silence. You're bearing and saying, I'm going to teach. I'm going to admonish. I'm going to give some instruction. I'm going to, the word admonish means to put into your mind. I'm going to put a new thought into your mind so that we don't have to do this again. And so when we're bearing, we also want to love one another by teaching and admonishing. And one of the most important things that we do here at Christ Community Church is that we, we are teaching, we are admonishing. We're, the word, again, putting in your mind, we're, we're loving each other by giving each other instructions and saying, yeah, I know that's how you are thinking. That's not a good way to think. The biblical way to think is this way. And so let's think this way and then let's have that change how you act or react. Paul says in Romans 2, 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by, by the renewing of your mind. I still need to go under, I need to go under some transformation. I have some bad thinking that needs to be replaced with biblical thinking. And so do you. And so we love one another by having a Sunday school class, having a a leadership class, having an expository sermon. All the things that we do here to say, this is the way to think biblically about particular issues. And so much could be said here, but probably the best thing to do is just to read part of the quote from your bulletin from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says this in, in his little book, which is really an excellent book called Life Together. He says, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. And he needs him again and again. However, and this is important, we often hear innumerable arguments from life and from experience put forward as the basis for the most crucial decisions. But the argument from scripture is missing. He who can speak out of the abundance of God's word, the wealth of directions, admonitions, consolations of scriptures, he will be able through God's word to drive out demons and to help his brother. So you're you're going to be trying to help one another all the time. Somebody's in your small group, somebody's in your age and stage. Hey, what do I do about X and such? And my question for you to examine is when you give some response back, are you giving a biblical response back? Are you giving a scripture filled response back? Or is it just, hey, I did this and this is what happened. So you should do that or you shouldn't do that. We, we love one another by admonishing, by teaching. And finally, Hebrews chapter 10, 24 And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another and all the more as that last day approaches. As the last day approaches, whether it's the last day of your life or the day before Christ returns, as that last day is coming, just more and more encouragement 
the writer of Hebrews understands is it gets difficult at some points. And, and inside the church, we've got to find ways to encourage each other. We've got to find ways to come alongside and, and to spur one another on towards love and good deeds because it's so difficult. That's why you can't be a Christian and just never go to church anywhere and sit out in the, uh, near the ocean and say, I can just commune with God this way. The ocean doesn't spur you on in that way. You need somebody that comes alongside and you need to come alongside somebody and say, hey, keep going. I see this good thing in you. I'm going to keep fanning that into flame. And that's what the writer has in mind. So we're loving one another by encouraging one another. Let me just give you two examples. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul is writing his last letter. And he's writing it to his uh, protege, Timothy. And right in the beginning of the letter... Timothy, when I think of you, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Timothy, see, you've been in my wake pretty much the whole time. And so I walk in and everybody knows who I am. I'm the Apostle Paul and you've just been in the wake. But I'm, I'm passing off the scene and now you're going to be the pastor of this church in Ephesus. And I want you to hear me say, I know your faith. Is sincere. It's genuine. It's not hypocritical. You've got the real deal. And I wonder how many times did Timothy reread that line in that letter over the course of his ministry? I bet thousands of times. Wouldn't you want the Apostle Paul to have your name in the book of the Bible and say, Hey, I know your faith was real? Yeah. And wouldn't that be an encouragement? This little phrase that you just sort of read by. But if it was you and somebody like Paul came alongside you and says, hey, you know what? It's real in your life. You're, you're one of the real Christians that I know. You're not hypocritical. You're authentic. You're genuine. And Paul's just trying to do uh, uh, Hebrews He's just trying to fan Timothy's faith so it grows and grows and all the more as he sees the day approaching. What a powerful encouragement. Most of you won't be surprised that I don't do much on Facebook. Uh, In fact, I really don't do anything on Facebook other than I signed up and I've had no posts since that day. But I keep up with other people, and they think I'm keeping up with them. And so that's good. And occasionally they send me notes, which I have a hard time remembering how to find on the Facebook, how to read their notes. But I did find one from an old Young Life kid. And he says, hey, Paul, I'm, glad so, I'm so glad I saw you on Facebook. <laughs> I was all over it. Uh, I wanted to send a note of thanks. Whether you know it or not, you helped me, you helped lead me to the Lord when I was 15 on our Young Life summer camp. While I lived in a very dark and rebellious period for 12 years after my salvation experience, I rededicated my life to the Lord about nine years ago, and I have remained truly committed since. I married a wonderful Christian woman, and now my entire immediate family is saved as well. Your words... Your actions when I was a teenager have followed me my entire life. I'm so grateful 
the Lord allowed our paths to cross. Even though it's been probably close to 20 years since we saw each other last, you are someone I think of often. Thank you again for your obedience. You know, when you get down and you feel like, what am I doing? I mean, is this, is this doing anything? Is anybody hearing what I say? Is anybody changing? Am I even changing from what I say? You need somebody to come back and say, hey, I know it didn't look like much. And when I left, it even looked worse. But you planted the word of God in my life and I never forgot it. And it's living and active. So many years later, the fire fell and the wood was there. And I'm a different person. And thank you for putting that there in my life. What an encouragement. Four or five sentences. I don't know how long it took him. But I'm never going to forget that. And that's what we have to have here at Christ Community Church. I mean, you come in and I come in and we look at each other and we say, man, they all look put together. I mean, I know you do this. I look at it and you say, this looks like a pretty good crowd. They look like they have their lives together. But then you have a little conversation. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were going through that big thing. And they're not saying it, but what they want, because what you want and what I want is I just need somebody to come and say, I see it. I see you're genuine. Keep going. Keep going. Don't forget. That's how you love one another. Jesus in John chapter 13 is saying, guys, I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. And this is what it's going to look like. You're going to have to give your life for one another. You're going to have to lay down your life. And when your enemies come, even if they look like friends, you'll have to be broken for them. You'll have to bend down to get to them. So just as I have loved you, so you, you love one another.